0: So our scripture this morning is filled with a little bizarre instance that happens. While visions and dreams and divine encounters with angels and the voice of God are prolific, and throughout the scriptures, we get a little uncomfortable when we hear them. We get really uncomfortable when we hear them from people that are still alive and walking around. Our first thing when we think about this sometimes is, were you really sober? Are you on any medications? And are you getting enough sleep? Because it sounds weird. Peter is describing this vision of a sheet being lowered from heaven, filled with animals. And did you catch that they were alive? All these weird animals in this sheet. This sounds like the most bizarre thing you've ever heard. And they're all these animals that no law-abiding Jew would ever eat. They're all in conflict with the commandments about clean and kosher animals. And these animals are specifically noted as having four legs, but not having the fully cloven hard hoof. So for instance, pigs have a cloven hoof, but it's not hard, and so therefore pigs are unclean. There are all these different rules about what you can and can't eat. You're not supposed to be eating reptiles. You don't eat birds of prey because they eat carrion. You're not supposed to eat carrion, therefore you don't eat things that eat carrion. And so there were all these rules about what you're allowed to eat. And as our story opens, Peter has done something that other people aren't happy with. Church leaders never do something that makes people angry. So we're going to have to put on a mindset of this. And so Peter has gone, and he's gone out, and he's ended up having contact with uncircumcised men. This is code for Gentiles. He has eaten with people who are not of the covenant of Mount Sinai. They are not circumcised if they are male, and if they are female or children, they are not kosher and clean. They are outside of the ritual purity system, that system from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that helps the people of God reveal their distinction. They are different from all the peoples around them and indeed all the peoples in the world even today because they don't speak the same language. They have Hebrew. They don't wear the same clothing. They don't eat the same things. They live separate lives. It's a sign of their otherness that they are different and they worship God the Father alone. And so they are very distinct and different and everything about their cultural life revealed this. It was a testimony to their adherence not only to the commandments but to the fact that they were living a different life because God told them to do it. And as they are doing this, they come into contact with other cultures now, especially at this time period of, with the advancement of the Roman Empire that don't keep clean, don't keep kosher. And so there are things that they are now experiencing that seem to be a threat to who they are and their religious purity. And then word comes back to Jerusalem that Peter, while out frolicking about, has had dinner with these people. Not only did he risk being contaminated by coming into contact with them, because who knows where those Gentiles put their hands, but he's eaten their food. And there were things that Jews just didn't eat then and they don't eat now. They don't eat bacon cheeseburgers. And they really don't eat anything that comes from shellfish. No Maryland crab. It's really hard to be an American Jew. Do you understand this? It's very hard and be kosher. And so these people are struggling with the fact that now you have a threat to their uniqueness. If you're letting them in, then now we're not special. And Christians like to be special. We are special. We're an incredibly amazing group of people. And when you look at our theology and our doctrine and our unparalleled grace that we have been offered and received and that now we offer unto others, it's nice to think that we are special. We don't want to think that we're like everybody else. And then when we think that maybe everybody else is going to come in and not make us very special anymore, we don't really like that concept. And that's exactly what Peter was living with. And when he came back, he had to deal with the fact that people were saying, did you go eat a bacon cheeseburger with those people? Because that's not happening. He's probably already got people that were like, Peter, where were you? What were you eating, Peter? What did you touch? What did you drink? What did you wear? They're starting to question his authority and his power. I mean, this is Peter. This is the one upon whom Christ said he would build his church. He has absolute power and authority at this point in the church. He is the leader of the remaining apostles. But what's happening is that with the coming of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit being unleashed in the world in a new and radical way, and the growth, the sudden growth of the church, what they're experiencing is they are losing control of what's happening, one. And two, they're not so sure they like the people that are coming in. Because no church has ever had that problem. They're not really sure what's going on here. And they're a little scared it's changed. They're a little frustrated. They're a little worried. Maybe we're not as special. I mean, things were really easy when there were only 11 of them. It's a lot easier to control things. But now there are thousands of them. And it's growing every day. This is the book of Acts. I mean, the church is growing. And so when they are looking at Peter, there's a real chance that Peter could blow this here. Peter could say the wrong thing and lose everything. They could kick him out of the church, because I don't know if you know this, but there are churches that kick their pastors out. Not this church. But there are other churches that do that. And so he's really at risk. I mean, this could go horribly wrong for him. And so he has to do something that really scares most people. He has to be completely honest and tell them something that seems irrational, and it was something that you had to be there and experience, and none of them were. And then he has to account for what he did. And as he's sharing this message, I am absolutely sure that some of them are going, Peter's lost his mind. Peter, crazy. As soon as Peter's done speaking, we're going to call the district superintendent and the bishop, and we're going to get a new apostle. Because there are people that don't understand, and that's valid. Not everybody's vision, not everybody's dream or divine encounter resonates with everybody else. That's why there's more than one minister of the word in the world, because not everything resonates the same way, and sometimes you have to hear it through a different vessel. And so here is Peter, and he's going, and I love how the scripture says very clearly, step by step, he walks them through the discernment process, and he records for them exactly what happened. And he tells them that he had this very bizarre vision. Notice he was praying when he had the vision. He was praying, and then all of a sudden, the sheet comes down, and I love Peter's response. It feels like a test to him. Did you catch that? The voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, absolutely not. I would never, ever do that, Lord. I know the commandments and I am not about to do that. It's like Peter is saying, I may not be a good Jew, but I know I'm not eating that stuff. And the voice from heaven doesn't care. Three times Peter has to go through this. Poor Peter in three times. Always three times Peter. And so three times Peter has to respond to this, you know, I don't want to do this. And notice what the voice from heaven says. You can't call profane what God has made clean. If God declares it, then you can't overrule God, which every Christian loves to hear. Let's just be honest. We all love to hear that. And so God is changing the paradigm. I mean, he's actually saying, you thought that you were a good Jew by doing this, and I'm about to obliterate all of that. That makes Peter wonder. Well, who am I if I'm not a kosher Jew? Who am I if that one thing that I always did right is now completely irrelevant? Who am I? Who are these other people? What is going on? If you're just going to let are you just going to let everybody in? What's happening here? And he's reminded that this is something new. That God is doing something new. And so then, right before he can really think about it too hard or change his mind, three men show up, and call him to go to this household and to preach the gospel and to change the household, let them receive it, to receive salvation and to baptize, to officially bring them into this new thing, this new Christianity that's occurring. And this is a moment that will forever change the world because what he doesn't realize has already happened is that God is doing this new thing with these Gentiles. And this is really important for most of us. Very few modern Christians can actually trace their faith history back to Judaism. Most of us personally trace our Christian beliefs and and the culture that we've inherited from our families down through the lines of Gentiles. If the Gentiles were not allowed in right here, this would have changed Christianity forever. It would not be the global religion that it is. It would not have brought to our people, our families, the gift of salvation. We wouldn't know the gospel. And Peter can't quite put all this together yet. It will be much later before not only Peter, but other disciples down the line will recognize that what happens here is changing everything. Because Peter is willing to be authentic and vulnerable and tell the other apostles and account for what he's done to share the vision and to tell them that, yes, I'll own it. I ate with uncircumcised people. I hung out with Gentiles, and I ate their food, and I liked it. And when he does this, he is actually creating space. He doesn't realize it yet because already in the book of Acts, it's recorded that Saul has been transformed into Paul. He is making room in this beginning of Christianity for other people to come in. Now, he doesn't think that, you know, he's radically changed the world by, by eating a bacon cheeseburger with these people. But instead, what he has done is he has already begun to plant seeds of transformation in this faith. Because when Paul is now brought into the scene, his ministry is entirely to Gentiles. And eventually what will happen is after he's had his transformative encounter with the resurrected Christ, he will then travel to Jerusalem and encounter and stand toe-to-toe with Peter. And he will account for himself. He will share his vision that he had and how he was transformed. Because the apostles back in Jerusalem are very leery over this. Their greatest persecutor has just become their greatest champion. And he wants to bring in all these Gentile people. This sounds like a nightmare to them. And so when he arrives and he's having this conversation with Peter. And they're debating about whether or not Gentiles need to first become Jews. Because as we've mentioned before... Every man over the age of infancy is looking forward to becoming Jewish and being circumcised. That's a big barrier. But instead, Paul argues for their inclusion, that no, they are not here to become Jews, they are here to become Christians. And they are not relegated to our faith, but instead God is doing a new thing for them so that they can be unimpeded in their journey to the cross, their acceptance of God's grace. God is doing something new, and we've got to get out of the way and let God do it. And he will go to bat with Peter and at times against Peter over what will be expected from his church. And the churches that he will plant because they've come to learn that Paul's got this ridiculous idea. He's going to go out to the outskirts of the Roman Empire. He's going to travel out to these places, to God-forsaken places like Corinth and Rome. And there he's going to encounter people, and he's going to make them Christians. They'll never be Christians in Rome. But instead, because of the encounter that peter has had because he has already started to create space and put forth the possibility that not only can gentiles be our friends but they can be our brothers and sisters in christ that they can receive the holy spirit they can be baptized and justified by grace they too can be a follower and a disciple of jesus christ paul his ministry will thrive and the vast majority of christians in the world today owe their faith and their place in Christendom to Paul and not Peter. But if Peter hadn't done his work, if he hadn't shared this experience, then Paul might have had to fight an even more exhaustive battle. He might not have ever been accepted by the Jerusalem church. The church would have fractured even sooner than it did. But because of his bravery because of his willingness to put himself out on the line and to speak God's truth and to practice what he was preaching, the world has been changed so that we can be here. Unfortunately, the history and the tradition of Christianity is that we often thought that the church was too special for many people. There were many times where we thought that Christianity was just for Western Europeans. That's what we thought it was for. It was just for people that looked like us. How wrong we were. In fact, if we had kept that mindset, then we would be blind to what is currently going on in the world. That even now today, that there are Acts of the Apostles and Pentecostal moments happening. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are now coming to Jesus Christ and experiencing God's grace and choosing to become disciples of Jesus Christ in places like Africa and the Pacific Islands not looking like Western Europeans. And their numbers grow day by day because they have been invited in to this thing we call Christianity. And there were other times where we thought that there were other people that it's too risky to let them in. There was a time when Christianity thought that women couldn't be clergy. There was a time when the United Methodist Church wasn't so sure what it wanted to do. In fact, before the United Methodist Church in 1968 started ordaining women, when it became the actual United Methodist Church, Methodism and its previous iterations wrestled with whether or not you could let women preach. There was a discussion that was happening. I remember reading the words of a bishop from New York as they had gathered in the newly formed Americas to decide who would be allowed to speak, who would they license to preach. And this bishop said, We can't license women to preach. You have no idea what they'll bring into the church. What kind of weird things they'll wear. That's my line. He didn't do that. But you could see, you could read in his words the fear and the anxiety over what you might bring into the church if you let these women talk. And at one point, he even wrote these words I wouldn't license the Virgin Mary to preach if she were here. I don't remember the name of this bishop. But I remember his ridiculous words. You really going to stand before Jesus and tell him that his mama can't have a pulpit? Really? But yes, because there was a fear. It was different. It was new. Nobody knew what would happen because it hadn't been done before. And there's a fear there. There's this concern that everything could go wrong because we're, we're not exactly thrilled with how everything is going, but it's not that bad. And we can certainly imagine it being worse. And so we cling to what we have, afraid that change might make it horrid, might make it horrible. But yet, Peter, in this story, is reminding us that sometimes when we embrace these opportunities, sometimes when we go with what God is doing is something new, sometimes, just sometimes, not only are we enriched, not only do we get to encounter God in this miraculous, wonderful, amazing way, But other people do too. And sometimes, just sometimes, it will truly change the world. When he got up that day and started to pray, he had no idea what God was going to do with him. And he had to have this vision. He had to have the experience. Because lest we forget, this is the man that was traveling around with Jesus for three years of his earthly ministry. The entire time. He was one of the original four that was called into ministry. And even as he's walking around, at some point in the Gospels, Jesus is confronted with unclean eating. And he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, it's what comes out. And Peter heard it. This isn't a new radical concept, but for the first time it hits home to Peter. Yeah, maybe it's okay for some of those other people to eat unclean things, but I'm not going to do that because I'm a good Jew. God wasn't asking Peter to be a good Jew. God wanted Peter to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ. And if Peter's dietary habits were becoming a problem, then God was going to clean that up. How many of us have something in our lives, in our person, that is a barrier for what God wants us to do? And we're afraid to confront it. We're afraid to let God give us a little introspection about what we're doing. Because we don't realize what's at stake. We think it's just about feeling bad or having to give up something that we really, really like. But instead, it's really about saying, I love God and I love the gospel so much that I'm willing to let God do something new in here so that something incredible can happen out here. And we learn time and time again in our lives that we think we know what's going to happen. We think we know what we want for ourselves. We're very sure about what we want in in our lives and in our world for us, in us and through us. And then God throws a wrench in that. The entire Bible is full of that. Because what ends up happening is that if God gave you everything that God wanted you to know all at once, your head would explode. And you would be like, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with this. Do you notice how many times in Scripture God comes and says, I have one thing I want you to do, and Moses is like, no. Jonah, no, 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 no. Time and time again, God says to people, I want you to go do this one thing, one thing. And they're like, absolutely not. In fact, I'm going to go run this way, hop on a ship, And never talk to you again. Because I'm so afraid of what you want me to do. We think we know who we are. I mean, when I was six, I thought I wanted to be a princess. And then I learned that you can't just princess yourself. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And so that changed my life. Then I had to find, like, a real career. And then when I was 16, I thought I was going to be an oceanographer. They make SPF 100. It's possible. But then God said, no, I don't think you're going to do that. I think I'm going to go have you do this thing. We what? I don't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. This is the most awful idea, God, you have ever had. Awful. And yet, I wouldn't be the Christian that I am today if I had told God no. Or if I had kept telling God no, because I did tell God no. See how this works? Eventually, what we learn is that when we trust God more than we believe in ourselves... That God changes things. And I have been privileged to be on the front line of Christianity and to see lives changed. I have been given a vantage point and a perspective to see things that I could not fathom until I fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It just so happens that my path of discipleship includes ordination and wearing all of this. But all of us have a path of discipleship. Every single Christian has a place in the plan that Jesus left in the Great Commission. Every single one of us has a role to play, a part in this purpose. And our purpose is to make disciples. Not to allow them to happenstance emerge, but to make them. And we make disciples by being vulnerable and authentic and honest and sharing who we are and who we understand ourselves to be in light of Jesus Christ. And that's scary because just like Peter, you don't know what will happen. You don't know what will happen when somebody hears you say these things. I could fill this room with people I have lost on my path of discipleship. Family, friends, colleagues, neighbors, love interests. I could fill this room. And yet, I will take what I have over that any day. Because This room filled with people that I love will never eclipse Jesus Christ on the cross. Ever. That is what we are giving to people when we give them our faith. When we share with them our visions, our encounters, our experiences. When we are willing to speak the truth that we understand. And it doesn't have to be gloriously weird like the sheet with the animals. It doesn't have to be miraculously articulate to the point that even Martin Luther would go, well done, good servant. Instead, it has to be true. It has to be real. It's supposed to be Jesus Christ and the gospel in our voice, in our vessel, which is why we come to worship. We come here to hear the word, to encounter God, to be equipped and encouraged to go forth and do the work. And God is reminding us in this text today that not only is there work to be done and people to be loved, but that Jesus is making a way for us to be successful. There are things happening right now that we can't even fathom. There are people in our lives that are desperate to hear the gospel truth because there are things that are going on that we may not even be aware of right now. So many times I will preach a sermon and somebody will say to me at the end, that is exactly what I need to hear today. You have no idea. You don't know what happened this week. And then you came in here and preached about this. Or my favorite one is, we were at the Catholic Church last night and they used the same text. It's called the lectionary. It happens. It's a miracle, isn't it? That's what I tell them. I'm like, it's miraculous. We're all on the same page, same spirit. Because we want to feel like there is purpose to our lives. We want to be people that make God proud. And we have that opportunity. Nothing makes God more proud than when we follow the example of our good shepherd and we go out to find that one lost person. We go out to find the one that needs to be reminded that they are a being of sacred worth. That when the rest of the world seems to think that they are too dysfunctional, that they are too sinful, they are too far gone, irredeemable, that we speak on the behalf of our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we say, absolutely not. I know a place where there is room for you at the table. There is a place for you to sit and be loved and be welcomed, and you can be forgiven. And they'll go, how do you know that? Because I, like you, have been forgiven. That's where the testimony is. You know because you have experienced. You know God because you have been part of this. And now we invite others to experience it too. And if Paul had been too afraid, too bound by social etiquette, too weary of who would accept him versus who would turn him away, then the reality is that most of us wouldn't be here today. Because whether we understand it or not, Christianity has always been about opening the doors wider, scooting over and making room in the pew, and ensuring that there is a straight line to the communion table. And that is who we are. That is what God has asked of us. That is what the world deserves. It's what the world needs. And if we aren't doing that, then who are we? If we're not doing this, then we truly are a people who have become living relics of a religion that used to do amazing things, of a religion that used to manifest grace and glory in Jesus Christ. And last time I checked, this was a church and not a museum. So let us recommit ourselves to the ways in which we will heed the call to make disciples, to allow our faith to have form, and to continue to build the kingdom here and everywhere we tread. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.